gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we have your words of eternal life. Thank you that your words are sharper than a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, as we hear it, Lord, I pray that you would pierce our hearts, Lord, that you would mold and shape our hearts to be receptive to your words today. And Lord, as I preach, Lord, I need you. And Lord, I pray that it would not be about me, but all of this would be about you and glorifying you alone. May you take all the glory. Amen. In 2016, that's the latest information I have, 2016, the BBC conducted the world's largest ever study on what people like to do when they want to find rest. These are some of the results, and I wonder if some of these results relate to you. One of them is being with animals, maybe. Number four is watching TV. Perhaps when you want rest, you go to Netflix or KO. Sometimes I do. Number three is an interesting one, just do nothing in particular. Number two, my favorite, is being in the natural environment, going on a holiday. That makes sense. And number one is something that really doesn't float my boat, but it came in as number one. And if people want to find rest, this is what they do, reading. <laughs> the truth is, though, none of these in and of themselves are bad things. But I wonder, friends, if you were part of this study, what would you have said? Honestly, have a think about it. You know, in today's passage, the Lord is very specific about where we need to go to find rest. And I hope that through the preaching of God's word, that I may be able to remind you or redirect you towards what the Lord is teaching us to do when we need to find rest. Today's passage comes from Matthew 11:25 to 30, and really, as, as Arby was praying, I thought I could just read the passage and then just leave it at that, because the prayer really directed it to Jesus. And today, that's what it's about. It's a very familiar passage to you all, so why don't I quickly read this as we go into the sermon. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Today's sermon I've titled, True Rest. And the key point I wanna get across to all of us today is, truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for rest. And today there are three points that I hope to make regarding this passage. The first one is rest in his work. Number two, rest in his call. And three, rest in his character. So jumping into the first point, rest in his work. 
The main point of this whole passage is what Jesus says in verse 28, when he calls the crowd to come to him. But before he says that, Jesus wants to make it clear that the only way you're going to come to him is if you know who he really is. Not just know about him, but truly know him. So what does Jesus say about what it takes to truly know him? In verse 25, Jesus points out the character of those who reject him and the character of those who know him and draw near to him. In verse 25, I thank you, Lord, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, God has hidden truly who he is, to who Jesus truly is, to the wise and understanding, and instead revealed them to little children. To clarify, this isn't saying that God hid Jesus from the brilliant-minded, intellectual geniuses of this world. No. But he's talking about those who are proud. Proud like the Pharisees who were right here with the Lord, use their own wisdom, their own intellectual greatness to puff themselves up. Those who are wise in their own conceit, those who are full of pride, those who feel, I'm good, I'm doing well, I don't need you, Jesus, I've got my life under control. That is who it is hidden to. But instead, Jesus says this, he says that he has been made known to the childlike. And he's not talking about that only babies know him. No, not at all. But the childlike are the humble because they know they have nothing to offer. The ones that trust in Jesus, the teachable ones, the ones that wholly depend on Jesus, the meek and the lowly. God has revealed Jesus to these types of people. And this is so true, right? The Bible gives us so many examples of this taking place. Here's a couple. The proud, the Pharisee who lifts his eyes up to the Lord and he prays, oh Lord, I'm glad I'm not like one of them. The pride. And in contrast, we see a tax collector who pounds his chest and prays, oh Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The humble child like who knows that Jesus is the only way. Or perhaps it's self-reliance. You know, the self-reliant rich young ruler, ruler who walked away distraught with these massive-sized pockets still full of gold. And in contrast, we have little Zacchaeus who climbed up that big sycamore tree. And when he climbed down, he opened his heart to Jesus and he opened his pockets to the poor. The childlike, Christ-reliant person. See the difference between the wise and understanding and the childlike? The difference between self-reliance and meek dependence on God through Jesus Christ. And that is who God has revealed Jesus to. So to know who Jesus truly is, we must humble ourselves and become like little children. You know, this is hard, isn't it? Especially as we get older. You know, we're getting smarter, 
wiser, and more self-confident. We think we know what is going on, but in our arrogance and in our pride, we can miss out. Truly, knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for rest. So here's my question to you. How are you guys going with humility? Humility is a battle we all face, isn't it? But humility is hard. In fact, humility is impossible in and of ourselves. It's impossible because what's our natural disposition? Our natural disposition is that I want to be God of my life. But God wants us to live our lives where he is the king and not us. In your life, God wants to be God. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. This means complete subordination to God. This means completely surrendering your life to Him. It's not God, you control this part of my life and I'm going to control the rest. No, He wants it all. Have you allowed God to be God of all of your life? Or have you decided to take the reins instead? If you want to know the one who is truly calling you to come, then you must submit your lives wholly to God. But if you're anything like me, you're probably sitting here thinking, yeah, it is impossible, and I don't know if I can do this on this side of eternity. But friends, we have the good news in our Savior who was humble for us, and exercise the ultimate humility for us. Look at Philippians 2, 6 verses 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you see that? Complete surrender. It says he emptied himself. He could have held on to divine privilege, but instead emptied himself by taking our humanity. He was in the form of God, and he completely surrendered that and became human, the form of a servant. And not only that, He humbled himself by becoming obedient. That's acknowledging God as Lord and to obey as servant. And he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, this act of humility reminds us of his death and the price he paid so that we may now serve him in humility. If Jesus did not do this for us, we would not be able to choose humility. Our only option would be pride. But because of what he did for us, we now get to take on his humility by the power of his spirit and Christ in the rightful place as king over our lives. So friends, humility is achievable. And only because Jesus achieved it for us. He died for you on that cross so that you can take on his humility as God reveals who Christ is to you.
And because of this, we can rest in his work. Truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for rest and to truly know him, we must be humble. Friends, today, we're going to focus on the gentle and lowly Jesus. But what I want you to know before we go there is that he's only gentle and lowly if you know him truly. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. You either know him and go to him or you reject him. Remember last week what happened to Chorazon and Bethsaida when they rejected Jesus? It led to destruction. However, if you, if you rest in him, if you go to him humbly, then this is his invitation to all of you. Come to me. Which leads me to my second point. Rest in his call. In verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't this just the most amazing statement? He says, come to me. He says, I have come to seek you out. What grace that God should come to seek rebel subjects like you and myself with no words of condemnation on his lip, but just the invitation for you to come. That one word shows us his very heart. That is his attitude to sinners. He calls upon us. And Jesus knows that we need him. He knows that we are full of sin. He knows that we come with baggage. He knows that we have issues. He knows that we have problems, anxieties, concerns in our life. And the King of Heaven is inviting you and me to come to him with all our burdens and receive rest and help in him. But friends, remember this. It says, come to me. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm struggling with something personally, more often than not, my first point of call is actually speaking to Rebs about it. Or maybe I might give Riley a quick call or have a chat with my growth groups about it. That is my first point of call. But you know, there's a reason why Jesus is calling us in our weariness and burdens to come to him. There's a reason why we should, he should be our first point of contact, our first point of call. Well, if we have a look at the text, we see this very reason. In verse 27, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Jesus is saying here, I have the authority. God the Father has handed all things over over to Jesus. And this statement about handing all things over to him is important. Why? Because having authority not only gives him the right for the humble to see who he is, but having authority handed over to him means that he has a right to bring healing. He brings forgiveness of sins and rest 
for your souls. Truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to Jesus, to him for rest. So who's invited to come then? Well, Matthew 11 tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. All who labor and are heavy laden. So friends, you don't need to unburden yourself. You don't need to collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burdens are what qualifies you to come to him. Friends, go to Jesus. He calls the weak. He calls the weary and the worn out, the hurting, the broken, and the defeated. Jesus isn't calling the A team. He's calling the Z team. Friends, come to the one in your failings. You know, when you think about the call to come, it actually means that you're leaving your current position that you are in right now. Jesus doesn't say to you, stay where you are, all who labor and are heavy laden. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you need to come. You need to act. And your act is, in my current position, in my current state of baggage with the sin, your self-reliant efforts, leave all that you have trusted in to overcome your laboring. Transition, move, and go. Come to Jesus. And don't get me wrong here, friends. Jesus isn't saying that if you've got marriage problems, leave your husband or your wife and come to him. No. If you've got work problems, he's not saying you need to resign and come to him. If you're a parent, he's not saying leave your role as a parent and go to Jesus. No, he's not saying that at all. But he's saying in the state of difficulty, take it to him. Take your marriage to him. Take your work, your loneliness, your parenting, all your burdens, whatever that is, move. Take action. Take it to him. Friends, find rest in your Savior's call and come to him. The other point I want to make about this call to come is that this word is a present tense verb. He's not saying come once you've tried to figure it all out figured it out by yourself, come once you've reached breaking point. No, it's friends, come now. Jesus is saying, Noah, Ian, Doug, come now, at once. Jesus just says, come. He's saying, believe in who I claim to be and therefore what I'm able to do for you. What an invitation. Truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for rest. When we know that Jesus is, well, we know what Jesus is instructing us to do, but I don't know if any of you are like me, but my struggle is actually coming to Jesus when he calls. What about you? And if you're anything like me, why is it that we don't come to him first? About six months ago, Rebs and I, we enrolled Eleanor, our daughter, into swim school. You know, the first five months of that swim school was crazy. She freaked out like anything. 
She hated it. It was constant crying and a battle to even get it in the water. You know, there's one activity in swim school, some of you parents might know, it's called Humpty Dumpty. And basically what happens is the child stands on the edge and they sing Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and she's meant to jump in the water. And the instructor's there, the instructor's saying, come, come to me, Eleanor. But Eleanor is adamant she is not jumping in that water. So Rebs and I, one of our strategies was to take her swimming as a family over the weekend. So we went to Homebush Aquatic Center, and we all decided to go for a swim. And so here we are again at the side of the pool. And I say to Eleanor, Eleanor, you can trust Dad. I'm going to grab you. Don't worry. So she's still frightened. But here I am. No, I didn't do this. <laughs> I said, come on, come to me. And so she jumps in. I grab her out of the water. And you know what she says next to me? Dad, again, again, again. Later that day, we asked why she couldn't jump in with the instructor, but so happy to jump when we told her to. And you know what she said? She said, what if the instructor doesn't catch me? In other words, Eleanor is actually saying, I don't believe I can trust her. You know, I think the reason is twofold. First one, she doesn't know who the instructor is and so cannot trust her. We spoke about this in our first point about the importance of knowing, right? And the second, I think, is this, unbelief in what the instructor is promising. So why do we find it so hard to come to Jesus at times? You know, why are we jumping into the arms of Jesus when he says, come? Is it unbelief, friends? unbelief that he can actually give your souls rest. And so you go to Netflix or your pets or games or books or holidays or whatever. When Jesus says, come, and if it's not first to Jesus, is it because you don't believe in what he says he can do? So what do we do if this is our very struggle? Because I know it's been mine time and time again. Well, friends, we are to do exactly what we just spoke about. Jesus isn't calling us to resolve our unbelief before we come to him. But he is calling us to come carry that very burden with him. Come in your unbelief. Come to the one who can resolve that for you. Cry out with the man in Mark chapter 9 where he says, Jesus, I believe help my unbelief. Friends, this is why the very call of Jesus for us to come to him is something we can rest in because he calls us to come as we are. So friends, come to the one who has authority and power to give you rest. This is a call to all of you and you must take action. Move, come to him and come to him now. And when you do, he promises that you will find rest for your souls. And so I want to jump into my last and final point, rest in his character. 
brothers and sisters, what is the meaning of this rest which Christ speaks of right now? Perhaps the best way to understand this is to think about your own salvation, your own testimony. When you were saved, do you remember that rest when your sins were first forgiven? Your sins were gone. Who took them? Your burdens removed. Who removed them? The heavy yoke gone. Who lifted it off your shoulder? Wasn't that Jesus? The rest that Christ reveals to us here in this passage is the rest that only Jesus can provide. Jesus bore the unrest on the cross so that you might find rest in him now. Again, today, with new mercies, you receive that rest. And that rest, no one, nothing can snatch it away from you. Jesus is the giver of that rest. So he invites you now, come to me and I will give it to you. You know, wouldn't it have been nice if the passage ended there, right? Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, full stop. But Jesus doesn't end there. He doesn't end there because the Christian life isn't going to be easy just because you've obtained that rest in him. It doesn't mean you're going to be, there aren't going to be any burdens anymore. Isn't that right? Don't we still carry some sort of burden in our life right now? And because of this very reason, Jesus in love says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, here's what a yoke is. I'm sure most of you knew that already, but just in case you didn't know, it's easier to explain through a picture. So what does this mean to take Jesus' yoke? A commentary by Michael Green describes the context really well. He says this, the yoke was the wooden collar that ran across the shoulders of a pair of oxen and enabled them jointly to pull enormous weights. So metaphorically, the yoke was used to describe the law, the Torah, which the Jewish youth undertook to bind himself in the bar mitzvah ceremony. It spoke of loyal commitment. For the Jewish people, it was common understanding that when the term yoke was used, it meant you were yoking with the law. And this loyal commitment to the law was such a burden for them. It was a burden because the law was impossible to keep, but they were still obliged to study and live by the Torah as a means of gaining acceptance and rest. We see in Matthew 23, verse 4, where Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees for this very act. He says, the scribes and Pharisees tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And Jesus realized that heavy burden that were on their shoulders, and so he calls them, yoke with me, yoke with Jesus instead. But friends, 
joking with Jesus does not equate to a lesser demand in your life. Just because you are yoked with him doesn't mean life is a breeze now. But rather, in some ways, Jesus is more demanding. Because carrying the cross, evangelism, making disciples can at times be more difficult. And don't we still have the burdens we are carrying right now? Friends, Christians are not promised freedom from illness or calamity or burdens. We are called to enter through the narrow gate, which is hard, but leads to life. But friends, rest on this. Yoking with Jesus, he offers us sustaining grace, grace to keep running that race. Yoking with Jesus means we will not be crushed or driven to despair. It says that in 2 Corinthians. His yoke, Jesus' yoke, is grace for all of us. It's not of duty and obligation. So we can accomplish what is laid before us more readily because of the strength of what Christ provides through the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to yoke with him. Friends, truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for rest. So how does this apply to us today? You know, your sins, your anxieties, your fears, your problems, your relationships, whatever your burdens are, you've tried carrying them. You've tried yoking with the simple pleasures of this world. I have, but there is still unrest for our souls. And Jesus knows that. He knows that the problems you have and the burdens you carry, and so he says, for all of you today, yoke with me. He says this because his very nature, Jesus' very nature is gentle and lowly. Jesus is gentle and lowly. There's a great book written by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lonely. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to do so. But I want to read out a couple of excerpts from this book that describes Christ's gentle and lowliness. Here's the first one that displays his gentle and lowliness. And it's based on a very familiar Bible passage. It says this, God, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The first thing about God's character that he wants you to know is that he is merciful and gracious. You know, he could have said, I am the wrathful and just God, and there would have been nothing wrong with that. But God, he chooses differently. He chooses firstly to tell you that he's gracious and merciful. And Jesus, he chooses to tell you that he is gentle and lowly. That's his heart for you. He's not cautious in how much grace and mercy he wants to pour into your life today, but rather his mercy is in you every morning and his grace is sufficient for you each day. God loves you and cares for you more than you could ever care and love yourself. His gentle and lowliness towards you is more than you could ever be gentle 
and lowly to yourself. And that is the Father's heart for you. His heart is that you experience first that he's merciful and gracious. And all he wants you to do is come and yoke with him. Friends, this is how he has shown his mercy and grace. It says this, Jesus, Jesus' deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. So his very posture right now he has for you is this, open arms and saying, come, I see the sin, I see the struggle, I see the suffering, I see the baggage that you are holding, I see your burdens, I see your cry for help each night. And so he says, come, and come in that state. Jesus is always moving towards healing. He's always moving towards embracing and forgiving sinners like us that least deserve it. Can you see the gentle and lowly nature of our Savior Jesus? You know, the crazy thing is, this is his posture and it never changes. Even though we turn our backs on him and reject him, it never changes. That's our gentle and lowly Jesus. And as you approach him with your burdens each day, his joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. The joy of seeing his people forgiven. Friends, you were bought with a price. His death on the cross has redeemed you once and for all. And so now you are a child of God. And when a child of God is sick, when a child of God needs help, needs healing, needs forgiveness, is carrying a burden, don't you think he would help all the more? You know, as a sinful parent like myself, my kids falter again and again, but my kids ask for help again and again, and they come to me, and I love that. But how much more then will our Heavenly Father help those who come to Him for rest? Jesus does not for one second delight in our sufferings. He does not delight in the fact that you are sick or carrying burdens too heavy for you to bear. He died for you on that cross. And the beauty of all of this is that when you do come to Him with your burdens and your sin, increases his joy. Hebrews 2, 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set, who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy is the joy on the other side of the cross, the joy of seeing his children forgiven. That brings Jesus joy. So friends, when you go to Jesus for the hundredth time, for the one millionth time, whatever that number is, Jesus' gentle and lowly disposition isn't disgust and annoyance and anger, but it's joy and delight because you have humbly approached him again. He wants the childlike, remember. So don't hold back. Don't think fearfully 
and wonder, how could Jesus ever forgive me again? Or wonder, how could he ever carry my same burdens again? Don't do that, because if you do, you miss out on the grace and the mercy and the comfort Jesus can give you today. He finds joy when you come to him again and again. Friends, Jesus is the head of this church, and we are the members of his body. And when his body is healed, he finds great joy. That's the gentle and lowly Jesus that we have. Truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for rest. So friends, in today's passage, where he says, learn from me then, friends, learn that he is gentle and lowly. Learn that in our laboring, when we are weary and burdened, the gentle and lowly Jesus enables us through his spirit to find rest in him. Go to him, rest in his promises, yoke with him, be loyal and submit to Jesus because when you do, you will receive the gentle and lowly Jesus. His heart, which is infinite in compassion and infinitely ready to forgive you and restore you. Don't think otherwise. You know, Satan, he's ready to pounce on our weakness. And his victory in our lives is not going to be the amount of sin that we indulge in our lives. No, that's not it. But rather, it's the thought that tells us that we can't go to Jesus anymore. These are the deceitful lies of the evil one. Reject that and go to him who is gentle and lowly. I want to finish off today's sermon by giving you the greatest example of this text displayed through Jesus Christ on the cross. We all carry a burden of sin on our shoulders. And this burden, no matter what we do, we cannot take off at our own accord. But when we approach him, King Jesus, childlike, humbly, requesting the Lord for his forgiveness, and grace of these sins we carry, he gives us rest. And he gave us the greatest rest from our sin by dying on the cross, paid for our iniquities once and for all, forgiven, pardoned, and saved in Christ. We rest in that, friends. And as we continue on, on this earth, on this journey, we look to Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, and we carry the cross and follow him. Friends, remember, expect to be reproached. Expect to meet expectation, uh, opposition. Expect trials and burdens, but also expect that as you yoke with Christ, he will enable your burdens to be light and easy for yourselves. Because the restful life isn't the absence of burden, but rather the presence of our gentle and lowly Savior in our life. Truly knowing Jesus enables us to come to him for us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your words. It says, come to you, to come to Jesus. And so, Father, help us to be obedient to your call. Help us to come to you with all that we have our baggages, our sins, knowing that when we go to you, Lord, you 
give us rest. Lord, thank you that you are gentle and lowly. Lord, thank you that you showed us that greatest example by dying for our sins on the cross. And so, Lord, as we rest in you, help us to run this race, knowing that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, we confess that we need you all days of our lives. Help us to go to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.